Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. Today's guest is Anthony Trucks. Anthony is a former NFL athlete, American Ninja Warrior on NBC, international speaker, host of the Awe Shift podcast, and the founder of Identity Shift Coaching. He uses cutting-edge science and psychology to upgrade how you operate so you can elevate your life and business to reach your full potential. After being given away into foster care at three years old, being adopted into an all-white family at 14, losing his NFL career to injury, and more, he learned how to shift at a very young age. And now his life mission is teaching others how to make shift happen in their lives. Anthony Truck shares about how mindset is only a piece of our identity. And when life happens, it is your identity that determines if you're running towards the challenge or away from it. He wants to help others make an identity shift that leads them to the life they desire. Anthony, thank you so much for uh, jumping on the show today. I appreciate you looking forward to uh, learning so much. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope I have something to teach you. I'm sure something. We'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite quite sure that uh, you're going to take good care of us. Um, Obviously, you you had a a rough background, rougher than rougher than most. um, You know, to be tortured as a baby, to end up um, in the uh, foster system to finally even being adopted was, was a rough transition. Um, would you share a bit about, uh, obviously, you know, I mean, go into whatever level of detail that you want, but that background of, of your, your start. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, like you said, I was given away into foster care at a young age. So I endured a lot of heinous stuff from some pretty unsavory humans, we'll call it. And so after about three years of bouncing around from, I think, five different houses, I landed in my sixth house, which is my current house still. Uh, the dynamic was interesting because it's a very poor, all-white family. So I obviously didn't fit in from the looks of it, we'll call it. Uh, but we had love, man. We had we had a loving family. It was, it was just crazy. We ended up growing like eight people, six kids, two adults. And I wasn't adopted until eight years later uh, at the age of 14 after 11 years in the system. And I was adopted and finally got to go and spread my wings, we'll call it, and try new things in life. But the beginning of the whole journey was a very disturbing situation. A a, a biological mom who just caused havoc in my life. Three siblings I wasn't able to be around very frequently or often. And uh, and just feeling like I didn't matter, which is how I think a lot of us end up at some point in time feeling just not that young. But at some point we experienced the I don't matter, nobody cares, this sucks. But that just happened to be the beginnings of my experience of life. Hmm. Absolutely. So I know that there was a struggle between your identity as, as a kid who wanted to go back to his mom and this new foster mom that was loving you and caring for you in spite of your behavior. Can you talk Hmm. about when you, when you let go of and, and, and accepted that transition? Yeah. Well, you know, you're a kid. You don't really, you don't know the people, right? You don't know how adults function. Like, it's like, as you get older, you realize like, oh, wait, my uncle was kind of a, a punk. Like he wasn't a good human or he was lazy. But growing up, it's like, look at uncle, whatever, you know? 
And it's like all of a sudden you have this, this realization. So it took me a lot of years to realize that my mom, who I just wanted to love me, who I wanted to be with, I wasn't aware that it was not the kind of person I needed to be around. And then I got to the age of like 14. I was like, oh, this, this person sucks. Like she's not a very good human. And this whole entire time I've been trying to find a way to be bad enough so the foster system would be like, we're done with this guy and then give me back to my family. But that's not how it works. They don't really <laughs> tell you this. It's this weird kid logic we have of like, well, if I'm bad enough, they just get tired of me. They're going to put me back with my mom. No, no, it works, man. So eventually I, I found this to be true in my own experience and my head locked into it. So I finally let the family love me. And in doing so, like I released the ties of wanting to be with my biological mom and realized that these people's family had always loved me. They were trying their dangness to make sure I, I turned out good. And I was like, these people aren't even my blood and they care in this manner. And so I finally let my family love me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, I know you've shared it, shared it before, but there, there's ways you were tortured and abused. Um, but I feel like, you know, the idea that your mom would, would share, hey, pack your bag, I'm coming. Yeah, Almost, to me, it feels fun. like more torture than some of the other well, abuses yeah. you suffered. Those are the things she did. Yeah. So I guess it would, it would help to give some explanation of moments of time that would give the, the the story emotion to it for sure. But yeah, so when when you're going through that, the reason I say I was trying to be bad, you know, I wanted my mom, I want to go home with her. And the realization came from moments like that where she would miss visitations. And she wouldn't show up to the things. And, and, you know, my siblings, they all have the same dad. I'm the only one that didn't have the same dad. So they're all with their dad. He would show up and my mom wouldn't. So just be me by myself hanging out with, you know, this guy and just sucked. And so every night I would go home and my biological mom, without fail, she'd call me and make some crazy, convoluted, out of this world story about what she was doing, why she couldn't make it. To the extent of at one point she owned Apple. She was a Mensa member. She worked for NASA. I'm talking, these are the things she told me. And I'm not doing it just to say it, but this is actually what she used to tell young Anthony. And, you know, and she'd say, wait by the, the window, pack a bag. I'm going to pick you up at 8 o'clock. We're going to drive off and live together. So she would poke that thing that she knew I wanted. And she's just very manipulative. And so I would spend those nights just sitting there crying myself to sleep. Every time a car would go by, the heart spikes and then it goes back down. And then I would cry myself to sleep. I'd wet the bed. And that was the journey. And then eventually I was like, I'm 13, 14 years old. I shouldn't be wet in the bed like this. This is not something that I should be experiencing. This woman shouldn't be doing this to me. And I finally wised up and made the call. That's a that's a huge shift. And and obviously you love your 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 mom that, that raised you and, and took such good care of you in spite of those those first years of of doing all you could to escape. Yeah. <laughs> And that transition um, had to be hard for her, right? I mean, obviously, she was, she, you weren't the first. Um, and so she yeah. she knew something you didn't know. Yeah, pretty <laughs> the power much. power of love. Yeah, she did. She did a good job, man. And, and I'm, I was, yeah, I was not the first of the kids, but she did know how to take care of the kids. She knew how to keep us feeling we mattered to ourselves. Which I don't think a lot of people do that very well. They don't matter to themselves, but... You know, should I have my, I'll call them fun moments, some black moments cool growing up because the only kid that looked like me, but it was never this thing where she framed it as anything other than there were just people that sucked. Some people suck. So I didn't grow up with this disdain for humanity or certain people or anything. It was just like, man, you suck as a person and I'm going to press on. And so that was a way I cope with a lot of those situations. Well, and I think 
obviously that that sets you up um, to have a different engagement with your emotions, right? And I, I mean, mm -hmm. I think you're you experienced a, a lot of hurt, and and it probably took a long time to 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 really experience that hurt or really allow that hurt to flow through you or not not hold it inside. Yeah, I mean, we all naturally do. We we hold on to things that are, you know, that I think whenever you have the pain, we hold on to it because we want it to be removed by that person. And so I did have those moments where this person, you know, I wanted to, you know, know she did what she did. And so I carry that because if I don't care, she won't care. And I don't want to let her off the hook, you know. And then you realize, like, this is just doing disservice to myself. She's never going to get it. I think that's one of the things that helped me later on, way later in life, understand the situation and, and let go of a lot of the anger is realizing that when people do things that really just mess your life up sometimes they're not always doing them maliciously hmm. like they're if anything they're doing them for themselves the selfishness creates this this action that affects you negatively you feel this thing but at the end of the day they're not doing it because they're trying to hurt you. they're doing it just to do it for themselves and on top of that they typically were never given the tools to be solid as humans no one taught my mom, my biological mom, how to be a mom. Her parents are kind of a little wacky too, you know. And so you're pretty much hoping and, and you're, you know, mad that this person without this skill set applies this skill set. And so the reality is, is we're we're wishing and hoping for something that's not gonna come. And so because of that, I was like, man, this is just it sucks. The, the the byproduct was my experience, but I can't sit here and stay small because this person won't give me what I want because they don't know how to give it to me in the first place. It's literally like being mad at a zebra for having stripes <laughs> right well I, I mean each person is really working with the best with the tools that they've been given and recognizing that you know that she wasn't equipped <laughs> properly yeah. to to handle the situation and she was doing yeah. the very best that she could for herself of course which is that selfish element um yeah that that really plays into that you know her her highest level was all yeah. that she had mm -hmm. so obviously you you found some success, you found some love and, and, and one of your loves became football. Oh yeah, no, it definitely did. It wasn't at first. Uh, I, I wanted to play, but wanting to do something and being good at doing something are two different things. You know, I may want to be uh, a trapeze artist, but I probably don't want to break my neck. I'm not gonna be good at it. You know, there's certain nuances, but for me, yeah, I, I desired to try football and like anybody, you try something new and you're immediately met with how good or bad you are. And I'm going to tip the scale and say most of the time, if you haven't done it before, you're bad at it. And then you're met with the emotion of that too. I'm bad at this thing. I feel bad because I'm, I'm sucking at this, right? And then what we do is we try to avoid that pain. So we're not usually masochistic humans. We usually don't try to inflict pain on ourselves. So when I can remove it, I will. And so when you have the pain of like, I'm not good at knitting or filming videos, or I'm not good in relationships, whatever it is, you will find ways to avoid doing the thing that's causing you an experiential pain. And so I was like, all right, I'm bad at football. I'm not going to do that anymore. So I checked out. But but at first, it was a thing. Like, I'm going to try. I'm going to be I'm going to be great. I'm going to do this thing. And I, I leaned into it with a love. And then pretty soon after it fell apart. <laughs> so what what caused you to to do the discipline stuff to take it to the next level? Well, you know, it wasn't that I wanted to be disciplined. I don't think it was a discipline thing. It's interesting. I don't I don't think that at some point I go, I'm going to be disciplined, 
I don't think there was a, and I don't even know if people disciplines like usually go like, I'm just disciplined, you know, it will usually just live our life. Then people ask us to describe what it is and we go, Oh, it's discipline. Right. You know what I mean? Like, or they describe it all. Oh, he's disciplined. And so what it was is, and knowing this now is an, is an identity I'd, I'd created. Right. But, but what happened was when I was a kid, I was in this moment where I was checked out after two years my adoptive mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I was just, you know, I was bad in the sport for two years. So I'm like, I'm done with this. And I would just go to class, sleep in class, you know, just kind of waste my time and float around. And I got to this moment where there's two girls sitting in this classroom and they're sitting next to me and they have no idea I'm listening. And I'm checked out. I'm sleeping under this black parka just on desk away from the teacher as far as I could get. And a girl goes, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And it wasn't, she wasn't talking to me, but she was talking. And I was like, ooh, that's like the exact thing I'm saying in my head as to why I'm not going to try football anymore and why I'm going to give up on all this. And I was like, that sounds a little bit odd. Like, I don't think I want to I I have that as a statement that I say. And so what I did was I, I went home and I kind of made this internal decision of like, I don't want this to be my future. So I started doing little, little commitments inside to change things. And the commitment was like, I'm going to do what a great football player does. I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to go back to football and try it all out. And I mean, I could have never played again, literally could have never played the game of football again. If it wasn't for these two girls having a chat. <laughs> and I just realized that's crazy. So, <laughs> so I go do this thing where I'm like, I'm just going to do what football players does. I'm going to do what they do. They lift weights, they run routes, they you know train and do sprints. That's what I'm going to go do. And I would do those things. And again, at that time, it wasn't about being disciplined. It was about trying to do what those players do, even when I don't want to do it. Because if I do it, I might get what they have. That's all it is. If I do what they do, I might get what they have. And I want what they have. So I'm going to do what they do. And I would do it day in and day out. In the beginning, you start doing it. You hate doing it. You're like, why am I doing this? You want to quit. And then little by little, you go, well, this is who I am now. It progresses at a point where it was hard for you to do. So where it's now hard for you not to do it. It was hard for me to close a day without catching a ball 500 times from my back. It was hard to close a day without getting a hard workout and running routes. It was hard to close a day without feeling like I did what was in alignment with what I did yesterday. And now it became who I was. And now the more I did it, the better I felt as opposed to the, the, the stress and like the strife of having to force myself to do it. And now while I'm talking about football, this is everything. This is your marriage. This is your career. This is your business. This is your health. It's the same thing. Most people don't get to this mentality of like, I got to become the person who does this thing so that it feels worse to not do it than to do it. And so, so I do good. it Yeah, and I lean in. And the next thing I know, like I'm a phenomenal athlete. I come back the next year. I'm a baller. I'm catching balls and tackling people. I'm just a baller. I'm just way outside the bounds of who I used to be. And it was a game changer, man. It turned into me getting a scholarship to play football at college and, you know, progress to the NFL. But it all eventually started there. And that was the mentality of like, how do I, how do I just do what that person does and then do what it takes to still every day feel like I'm that person? And I think we call it discipline. It's, it's this, because if you think about the word discipline, it means disciple of a plan. Dis disciple, right? Plan. Disciple of a plan. You've got to follow a plan. Most of us have no plan or we don't know that the plan we have in place is, is operational of certain functions. So for me, I was just following the plan of my identity. Nice. Well, and the, and the, the identity shift happens in the consistency, right? I mean, you put on running shoes every day for enough days. Pretty soon you say, oh, I'm a runner. 
maybe I should go running. <laughs> and so I, I like that identity shift, right? And, and obviously that's the title of your book and, and recognizing those identity shifts. But your identity became tied to being a baller. Yeah, man. Football. And that's then, what you, you do. <laughs> and then and then that was taken away. <laughs> yeah, that happened too, man. Okay. So, so let's talk about your identity as a as a as a baller football. being taken away. Yeah. Well, yeah, whenever you do something for a long period of time and you were getting praised for it, I think it's a big key is that you were getting praised for it. Because I think we can do things for a long period of time, but if we do them and we hate doing them, I won't identify with it, you know? But if I did it and people go, great job, I love that you did that, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I feel great, thank you. You know, like, it's a different feel. And so I did football. I got praised for it because I did good at it. I was doing well. And then eventually I had an injury that ended the whole career. So now you you just you know, kind of pushed into a world unprepared, we'll call it. And on top of that, not only are you unprepared, you feel uncomfortable because it's not who you used to be. And I can't do that thing that I used to do. No matter how hard I try, I can't get up and go and get paid to hit people anymore. You know, it's it was just a different world. And so I, I came out of a massive identity crisis when I came home. I just had to, to go through this journey, which wasn't fun. But when you wake up and you realize I'm not the football player anymore and you ask the question, well, then who am I? And you don't have an answer. Hmm. It sucks. It just sucks. And so that was a gap, a void that had to be filled, and it wasn't filled easily, and it wasn't filled quickly. But that was the beginning of me becoming who I am now, because back then, that guy, 25 years old, fresh out of the NFL, had an ego, but he was hurt you know, internally, didn't express things very well about what was going on in his life, uh, was a dad, but not a great dad, was a husband, not a great husband. Just that guy was different, man. He uh, He didn't have the tools and didn't have the wherewithal to develop them to become a better person at that time. Well, and I imagine that obviously the anger issues you've carried through your young life, even though you've had, you know, this good period of time with football that had to just reignite some of those. I never had anger issues. That's the interesting thing. I think there's an assumption that the reason that I was, this is is honestly, it's a, a logical assumption. The pathway there. I kudos to you. You're 100% dead on. I am a weird anomaly to that. While I played angry, it wasn't anger for retribution for what the world had done or my mom had done. It was just I realized that that's how you have to play to be successful at the game. What it really was angry, it was anger for the fact that I had worked too hard in the offseason, lifted too many weights for you to beat me. It was, a, it was a protection of my personal pride and what I, I believed I deserved. I deserved to win, to beat you because I worked for this. And it wasn't a matter of, you know, this thing happened in my childhood. And that, I believe, is the reason why it was harder for me to stay on path when I got done with the game of football. Because I wasn't operating from this, you know, prove the world wrong, angry. I was operating from a place of what I had established from my work, we'll call it my, my work ethic or from my you know, my, my past of success I've had, or even just the effort put in over the years of working out and lifting weights. So when we enter into the new world, I don't have that proof of why I'm amazing. Because in the old world, I had proof. I'd lifted weights all day. I'd done the reps. I'd, I'd ran. I'd got good numbers. I, on the field, I, I had plays, right? But now it's like, all right, no more football. Go be in the real world. 
And when I look back and I'm like, uh, but I don't have any proof that I'm good here. I don't have any. I haven't done. I haven't had a job. I've never led a company. I have never had a, a regular paycheck. From a red, like, I don't even know. So I'm looking back going, oh, crap, I suck. I don't know anything. And that's how we all feel when you go to this new stage of life and you can't bring over in some capacity or you don't know how at least yet to bring over the the old, you know, playbook of what you had and bring it here and, and, and use it. You feel naked. You feel empty. You feel lost. And so that was where I had to go back and say, well, I had over time planted a seed and this this tree had grown in a football to something amazing, this big oak tree of football. Well, someone just came and chopped it down. <laughs> and I'm looking around for another tree and I'm like, I don't have a tree and I feel crappy. And then what we try to do is say, I'm gonna just plant a seed. Give me a tree. I, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm open a business, it'll be successful. And then you go in and you go, oh, where's the tree? And like, no, no, no. The same thing you did for that tree, the years and years and years of time and effort and energy, you have to do it again for the next thing you do. That was the big thing I had to learn that took a lot of time and pain. That's a great analogy, right? I mean, there, there's so many analogies between business and fitness because we live in a microwave culture that expects the acorn to just become an oak tree, you know, overnight. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think, you know, so often you start a business or you want that guy's success, you want his results, but you don't want to do <laughs> Do all that he did, like you said in the beginning, right? When he figured out, I want to be a great football player. I'm going to do what great football players do and do each of those steps. Um, I want to be a great business owner. I'm going to do all the things this business owner does um, mm-hmm. and and do each of those steps. Obviously, at the same time, you know, your football career failed. Your business that you started right after that is falling on hard times and, and not mm-hmm. going where you want it to. Your marriage it falls apart. Um, yeah. All the bad what, stuff, man. Let's keep talking about all the bad stuff. I'm just joking. <laughs> well, I, I just want to set you up for, for talking about forgiving yourself, being able to forgive yeah. and start again. And of course the power of forgiving your wife. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I believe there's huge power in forgiveness, but it starts with being able to forgive yourself. Yeah, it does for sure. I mean, cause you have to practice the skill set before you can apply it. So where hmm. else are you going to practice it, man? You know, I, I think we we don't. It's funny you say that. I'm, I it almost as I hear it, I'm like, did I have to forgive myself? And I I don't think that it's it's seen in the same capacity as forgiving ourselves because it's weird. If I, if you were to say you have to forgive yourself, I'd be like, for what? What did I? You know, that's what I would say. At face value, literally, the first time I heard you just say that right now, I'm like, I have to forgive myself. What did I? And I go, oh wait, no, I kind of did, and it shows up in guilt. I don't, and I think this is one of the things that I've I've come to find actually recently is one of the biggest hindrances for a lot of people. It's that we endure and experience guilt. We have done things that have left us feeling guilty, or we're doing things daily that are establishing a compounding guilt, and we just feel bad. And then what happens is we don't think we deserve very much. We don't respect ourselves, and so what ends up happening is we don't show up for ourselves because I don't I don't show up heavy and strong for someone that I don't respect or love. I can't re- I can't love someone I don't respect. It's very difficult, right? So it's this kind of in between thing. I'm like, well, that's why a lot of us fall short of stuff in life and don't fight for the things we want to have in our life is because, well, I've done this thing. I feel guilty. I lack respect. Therefore, I lack the love. Therefore, I don't put the energy in when I have to. So it's why I, I don't stick to the diet. Why I don't stay in a relationship. It's why I self-sabotage. If you have something that your gut believes you don't deserve, you will naturally find a way to get rid of it. You won't even notice it. 
If you make too much money and you don't think you deserve the money, you'll find a way to buy stupid stuff and do dumb things. It just happens. If you if you are in a relationship with someone you know is better than you, you will self-sabotage because you don't want to have that person all of a sudden realize that, hey, you suck. So you'll I'm going to be the one to cut it off first. Right. We do this. And I think that we, we talk about the for, forgiving. Right. It's I don't know if it's always this aspect of like, I forgive you, Anthony, but it's more of like acknowledging that and going, oh, yeah, you suck. You're not very good there. You're feeling kind of bad. Here's the thing. You can solve that. You can overcome that. You have to take actions in the opposite. And I think that process is a, it's a natural stage and state of forgiveness than going to forgive yourself. Because the thing is, is, once you take the actions, it eliminates the guilt. It does. Little by little, the actions you take and that suffering of guilt. And then you can get to the point of actually saying, okay, great. I've, I've relinquished this. I've moved past this. I let myself off the hook a little bit because, look, I've done something in the opposition. And so I have that, that level of forgiveness. And then you can apply to other people. You can go, okay, great. Well, this, this aspect of action, this person did this thing. And while I would love to forgive them, most people go, I can't because then I'm letting them off the hook. And if I forgive them, then they're not going to really be. And that's where I go was not really about them. It's really not. It's, it's, I mean, they don't have the skill sets. They don't know how. And here's the even worse piece of it. At the end of the day, the world is a mirror to you. And you can only you can only give out what you have inside. So if you have crap inside because you haven't forgiven people, well, then you give crap to the world. The world gives crap back to you. It's a mirror. So when I look at this idea of like forgiveness, the other side of the coin is like I actually have to let you off the hook for me. So there's one side of the forgiveness of self, which I think is marred with guilt. And there does become a point where I go, Ant man, you're not that bad. It's okay. You did this. It's okay. Like you're not a bad person. You know your heart, dude. Like you maybe did this and did this, but that's not that's not how you are, who you have to be. Let's take some actions, rectify that so I can let myself off the hook. The actions for the other side, it's not that they're gonna take the actions when you forgive somebody else. It's you're gonna take the actions. You're gonna do what you gotta do so you can remove your guilt of holding them to that. Cause I think that's where a lot of it ties in. If I'd have kept hold my mom accountable. And being mad until she comes by in my life at some point and says, I'm so sorry. She's never going to do it. Therefore, I'm going to have to carry that the rest of my life. And I'm like, that. I'm going to feel bad when I get to a certain point and go, wait, I'm 50 years old. And I'm still waiting my mom to, to say something from when I was 15 years old. What's going on? I'm like, I'm an idiot. I feel guilty. So like, for me, I go, I'm going to let her off the hook. Not because she doesn't get it because, you know, she doesn't and she may never but mostly because I don't want this in me anymore. I don't so want to care. The moment, the, the moment you go with it, it disappears. Then you got good in you. You got like, all right, some good stuff here. I feel good about myself. And you give that to the world. The world's still a mirror. So you get good stuff back. And the forgiveness benefits you more than them anyways. Sometimes, tell you this, sometimes the best punishment for somebody is allowing them to continue living their life the way they are. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like what you're saying. I, I I have an analogy of of a heart and it has strings tied around it. And that person you're not forgiving is holding on to one of those strings. Even though you haven't seen them in 10, 20 years, you're yeah. still allowing them to pull that string and jerk it whenever that, that thought comes up for you. And, and, yeah. and forgiveness is basically saying, I'm cutting that string because you're not allowed control. You're not allowed a voice in my heart anymore. Yeah. And, and it's for yourself. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so there's there's huge power in that, and I love that you sh you shared that maybe it wasn't forgiving yourself, but it it's owning yourself, right? You're you're taking ownership for 
what you've done and said, oh, hey, the step to get rid of this guilt is to take action and and be the man that you say you want to be. Right. Be consistent and have integrity with with the man that you're, you're wanting to be in the world. And I think it is. I mean, it is a level of forgiveness for self. I just don't think we look at it. I don't think the action takes place the same way of forgiving someone else. But it is, in essence, still a forgiveness of self, forgiveness of the action you took and letting yourself move forward. Because if you think about it, the lack of forgiving someone doesn't let the next step take place. <laughs> if I don't forgive you, the next step of our relationship can't take place. Next step for whatever can't take business can't take place because I'm, I'm not forgiving. The moment that I forgive myself, I can take the next step. So in taking that action to end the suffering, I am in some way forgiving myself. I am in some way you know, let myself off the hook because there's an action taking place now. So good. Well, and and I know that many people have challenged your idea that, you know, how could you forgive your wife and mm-hmm. and have the relationship that you have? But I'm a firm believer that walking through the valley and getting to the other side leads to a more a, a strengthened relationship because you've proven you've proven what you can you know, what you can go through, right? It, it raises yeah. your, your relationship to a whole new level. Um, mm-hmm. And so I commend you for, for having that level of forgiveness and being willing to walk through painful crud to get to that other side. It's all part of a it, man. It's, it's the journey. I appreciate it. Thank you. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by Add Value to Life Coaching and their Inner Circle Team Coaching with a new team forming in January. Limited seats are available. Apply during the month of December to be a part of this group coaching program. It can be found at addvalue2life.com. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. How, how did you, how were you able to do that? What, what helped you through that process? Uh, you get to the rock bottom, you know, that's kind of what it turns into. I, th- I think in my opinion, it's what it turns into. You kind of get to that bottom. You're like, ah, oh, this all, this all sucks. And I, uh, I kind of don't want to keep experiencing this. And then you start looking at your life differently and going, well, everything I've been doing up till now hasn't worked. So, well, maybe it's time to do something new. And so the something new turns into you trying this, this different out of the box thing. And so for me, it was, well, I don't like the way my you know marriage ended. I don't like being single like this. I don't like you know my family being torn apart. And so I think the next thing for me was like, well, how do I fix this stuff? What is the thing I got to do? And it will always be met with, with uncomfortable, out of character actions. Same thing could be uh, tied to my business. It was the same thing. Things weren't going great in the business. I had to figure out how do I make more money in this business? How do I keep it stable? How do I survive off this thing and then thrive, right? Like I want to be able to like have a, a, a thriving business. And so you look at it and you go, man, there's all this stuff going on. And you know, forgiving myself for not running the business, my wife or whatever. And then you start getting to the point of like getting in and going, you know, the things I'm going to have to do are not going to feel good. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions for most people. They think the journey is going to feel right and feel good. And it doesn't. Even if it's the right thing to do, it will inherently not feel good because it's different. Hmm. For example, it is good to eat healthy to lose weight. Is it easy? Hmm. Absolutely not. We know we should do it. It's it's good, but that the, it sucks. Like people have internal battles of like not eating chocolate. You know, it's it's a serious thing. And so I realized at that point, I was like, oh well. If I go in the direction of things that feel super uncomfortable, I'm actually going the right direction. So whether it was forgiving my wife and, you know, getting the family back together, whatever stuff was in the beginning, it, it felt all weird. But I think I always knew that the reason to go this direction was because I want what's over there. 
I want the end result of what it looks like there. I don't know how I'm going to get there. It's going to be the damn stock market up and down and up and down. But that's the destination up at the top of that hill, right? So when you're climbing up to the top of the hill, there's ups and there's downs. And that, that's things I'm doing. I knew it would be right if it felt wrong. Like, I don't know if wrong's the word. I would knew it was right if it felt bad, you know? And it would feel bad because it wasn't what I typically do. And so I tell people all the time, out of character work is the key to your success. But at the same time, out of character is not bad. I believe most people think out of character is like, oh, I don't want to act out of character. But what if out of character for you is to go exercise? What if out of character for you is to apologize to your, your spouse more often? What if out of character for you is to take your kid on a, a solo trip to Disneyland or something? I mean, like, it's out of character, but is any of that bad? No, but it's out of character. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Because out of character is in the direction of the character you do want to become. That's so good. I And I would compare it for many. It's the comfort zone, right? We, we get in that comfort zone and think, you know, all of these things are really pushing yourself outside of the comfort zone. And, and our culture has this, uh, and the voice in your head has this thing to protect you and say, well, if you get out there, you're going to get squished like a bug. So don't, mm -hmm. don't go out there. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. I think it's important to recognize, you know, the things we do that, that push our, push that comfort zone, push that limit, push, you know, it, it doesn't feel right. But, but you know that this is the process, right? Recognizing this process gets me to that place. And and so I appreciate, you know, that journey and, and recognizing that, yeah, there's there's going to be bumps in the road and and they're going to they're going to stink. But this is this is getting me to where I want to go. And and I I like that outcome. Right. I, that's the outcome I'm, I'm after. Yeah, that's it. It's all it's, it's all. Uh... But that's the thing is we all know this, yet living is the hard part. Well, that's the gap, right? The gap between knowing and doing. Yeah, it's a big one. And it, and that's the hardest gap to close. And that's why people don't have what they want. That's why the gap stays open because it's it's vastly easier to say it than do it. And the motion of doing it, they don't, they don't either they don't do it full bore or they do it for a short amount of time and then they never get the return and then wonder why life is how it is. Cause I think the worst thing is when you try something. And it's too hard and you give up. And the reason it's bad is because you feel like a person that gives up and you you have guilt. You feel bad for yourself because you gave up. At the same time, you you never quite you never quite know what it could have been. So there's no attachment to this desire to achieve that thing. It's like the person who's never been in shape. They don't know what it's like to be in shape. So of course they don't do the things to get in shape the way anybody else would. They don't, it's like, I don't, if I don't know what's on top of that hill, I'm not climbing the top of the hill. Climb the hill, Ant. It looks hard. It's going to be really hard. For what? For what's up there? I don't know what's up there, though. But it's going to be great. I don't know, man. You sure? Yeah. I don't know. That's a lot of work, right? But if I could see what's up there, which means fully experience it, I'd go, holy crap, how come I didn't do this before? Right. But getting people to really understand what's up there is a hard task. Well, and I appreciate I think one of the bigger elements for you forgiving your wife was owning your part, right? Taking responsibility yeah. for your part of her having an affair, for your part of her recognizing that you weren't doing the job you said you were going to do, being mm -hmm. the dad you wanted to be, being the husband you wanted to be. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about taking part? responsibility yeah. for your part? So first off, let's make this, this is a fun one because people go, oh, where are we going to go with this? I guarantee a person's listening going, what the, what? Right? So first off, there are always two roles in a relationship. Now, 
in our situation, my wife had an affair, got divorced for three years, got remarried. We have an amazing marriage. I am far from naive, a very intelligent person. I'm very aware of how things unfold, and I'm a very emotional person also. But the, the pathway to here was a very difficult one. And when I say my part in the affair, here's where people have to understand this. There are two stages, I believe, in an affair. I think stage one is what leads somebody to a point of decision. Stage two is the decision. Stage two had nothing to do with me. Stage two is the decision she made, her decision to this day. It's a stupid, dumb decision. Like, not even, like It's a heinous, horrendous decision. Take nothing from that. Neither does she. She gets it. Stage one, however, has to be in place for stage two to take place. It's like getting on the roof without the ladder. You need the ladder to get to the roof. The roof was decision point. Stage one, I helped her put the ladder there. It took two people to get to a point where she even thought she needed to make a decision in the first place. I don't, I did not deserve to be cheated on. I did not deserve any of that kind of stuff. None of that I deserved. However, the way that I showed up in my marriage, she deserved to have a decision to make because she could have left me. She could have had the affair, multiple things she could have done. And all of them would have been because of the right position she was in to make a choice. Cause I promised her with vows I'll be here doing this, I'll do this, I'll do this, and I wasn't upholding my side of the bargain. So the action she took sucked. The decision she took, horrible. Wrong decision to take. But it took both of us, and my part was my side, not showing up as a husband to get to a point of her thing that she needed to make a decision. Hmm. Well, it's so good because by separating those two and recognizing what she needs to to take responsibility for and what you can take responsibility for and both of you can take responsibility and, and make a change. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously it, it sounds easier. It, you know, it, that's a simplification of something mm -hmm. that probably took you guys years to work through, but the fact that you work through it proves that, that if you both take responsibility in your relationship, you can have the relationship that you want. Mm -hmm. So it was down to man. <laughs> you get something cool. Then you create something great. But you can't have the, the sugar without going through all the crazy to get it. You know, it's just hard. It's a damn, well, damn journey, man. Well, relationships are hard, right? I mean, that's the reason why, you know, people come and go out of people's lives is because it's it's hard to stay in relationships. It's hard to, to take care of people. But when we choose to, to when we choose to have good relationships and we choose to build people up and, and add value to people, great, great things can happen. But of course, it starts with, you know, loving ourselves enough to improve ourselves and to, to be a person of character. And so True. that, that journey that you've been on, and obviously you've been on it since, since your birth, right? I mean, you, you, you had some, some pretty low times and, and thank God that you found a family that, that took care of you and loved you in spite of, you know, the things you were going through. And obviously that creates a, a whole other thing, right? You, you talk a little bit about your books about identity shift and, and making those identity shifts in your life. But a lot of people talk about mindset and you know, changing your mindset. Can you share what you see as the difference between mindset and identity? Yeah, well, I guess the mindset sits inside of identity. And so mindset essentially is where my beliefs and my thoughts overlap, in my opinion. When I believe something to be true and I think in the same direction, I feel like I have a good mindset. 
if I don't believe something to be true or I don't have the right thoughts and they're in opposition to one or the other, then my my mindset gets weak because I'm like, I believe I should do this. But then I go, can you, Anthony? Are you the guy for that? What if you mess up, right? The thoughts are in opposition. The mindset gets weak. Identity is an encapsulation of your beliefs, your thoughts, your actions, your mindset, your habits, and your personal pride and ego. Mindset sits inside of what is, you know, the accumulative collection of multiple things. And so where people look at mindset and go, oh, man, I all needs a good mindset. I go, what, what happens when the tactics and tricks go out of the window? What happens in that, that spot where it's like fight or flight, sink or swim? Fight or flight is not a mindset thing. It's an instinctual identity thing. Am I the kind of person that fights? Am I the kind of person that runs? No mindset trick's going to have you. Like if you're in the middle of a you know, heavyweight boxing match and you don't see yourself as a boxer, when everything gets to the point of the game plan didn't work and I didn't, it's like, oh, whatever, I'm not even a boxer. I'll get out of here, right? But if I'm in there and I go, I'm a boxer, the game plan didn't work, well, what would a boxer do? They'd still fight. They'd still find a way to win. I do things different. So the separation between mindset and identity is it's it's this difference between is it my core to go even when everything is falling apart or is it predicated upon me having this mental ability to control myself and push when I, when I, my brain's telling me not to, because then you're in a conversation, the mindset you have in the conversation, the identity is when there's no conversation happening and you were just doing something because it's who you are to do it. Hmm. So good. Yeah. Are you the person that runs to the fire or runs away? <laughs> Yeah, and it's not like, do you have to get your mindset in place to like run to the fire? No, it's who I am. I just run to the fire. There's, there's no decision, right? It, it, it's going to yeah. be instinctual for sure. It's almost like some people will describe other people as like their mindset, but it's not like they would describe themselves as. It's, we talked about something like this earlier in the same bubble, but like when you look at people who were doing successful things, like they just, they're killing it. Like a boxer, for example, and they're about to get beat and they go, we'll be like, oh, he had a powerful mindset. He wasn't thinking in that moment. <laughs> in the middle of the fight, he was got, got punched in the face. He didn't have time to think. He just instinctually, based on who he is, found a way to duck and keep moving to not get hit by punches. He didn't go, okay, Anthony, you got this. Okay, stand back. He didn't do that. It's just, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inflowing thing. And so I think we describe people that are go-getters with this mindset because it gives us this tool that we can, I can apply a mindset tactic. And it's like, nah, man, you got to dial into where it's who you are to get to that person's level. Cause they'll do the things without even thinking about not doing them. It's just getting done. And you're like, how'd you do it? And you go like, how'd you not do it? It's just who you are. Well, I think it's the same in, in football, right? I mean, the, so much becomes instinctual because of the habits, because of the consistency in practice mm -hmm. that makes True. a great player on Sunday versus, Oh, I'm thinking about this route. I got to run left. I got to take three steps this way. I got to take four steps this way. Obviously, yeah. if you're at that level, you're not, you're getting outrun by the defense instantaneously. Yeah. You're just doing the thing, man. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's a flow. It's a, it reminds a, me of Tyson's quote, right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. No. Yeah. And then, and then we go to the instinctual part. Once I get punched in the face, what do I do? And that's where mindset as much as we talk about it i don't think we're typically consciously talking to ourselves in those moments we are like for for me whenever i got to the point of like the i had done all this work when i was 15 i did all this exercise lifting i showed up the next year and when i got in the field it wasn't i didn't even consider mindset as a thing i was doing 
it was this thought of like the balls in the air because I'd done so much work in the past instinctually. I was like, that's my ball. That's my ball. So I don't, I'm going to get the ball. Like, so they threw it to you. I don't care. It's my ball. It's in the air. It's my ball. It was like this thing that I just, I had to get the ball now. And it wasn't this thing of like the balls in the air. You worked so hard, Anthony, you can do this. Go, you know, no, none of that took place. Balls in the air. It's my ball. It's, it happens in, it immediately. Same thing when like you beat me on this play. Like if you beat me, I was pissed that you beat. Let's do it again. And it wasn't because I had a mindset. It was like, I'm not the person who loses this drill. You don't have the right to beat me. I identify as being better than you at this. So I will not settle for less than I believe I deserve. That goes beyond the thought process of me talking myself into something because my mindset's strong. It's an identity thing. Hmm. So good. So let's talk a little bit. Obviously, I think our culture is quick to identify people by what they do. Obviously, you identified as a football player, partly because you put in so much work as a football player. And, and, but obviously, Anthony Trucks is far more than just a football player. And, and, and you had to transition to find that guy, right? Football had mm-hmm. to go away for, for you to find your identity in, in something else. But typically, the first question we ask when we meet somebody, what do you do? And, and, you know, it's, I'm a salesman. I'm a, I'm a garbage man. I'm a truck driver. Yeah. I asked you a different question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, asking a different question helps a lot, but, but typically our identity is tied to a career or tied to what we do. And, and mm-hmm. obviously each of us is so much more than that. Can you speak to that yeah. a little bit? Yeah. I mean, what you do, well, what we consistently do, we are right. We are what we consistently do. We've heard that before. So it, it would lend to think to the habits, the things you've done and what you've accomplished become part of your strengthening of who you are. The interesting, like I asked the question, actually I asked this question today of somebody. I said, how do you show up in the world? Hmm. And then I asked them what they did. I asked them how you show up in the world because that gives you a, a breadth of like, I can step in like who I am at my core, what kind of person I am. Because I could, he could have went and said, I show up as a, a great mom or sorry, great dad, or I show up as a great mom, we could have said, or anything, whatever it may be. But I guess nowadays you could be a dude and show up as a great mom. <laughs> so the idea is like you, you ask, I asked that question that flow, but what we, what we uh, kind of endeavor to do with our time leads us to believe that that's, that's the, the breadth of who we are. It's the, 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 the strength of our personality and our persona. And the way that I've always seen it is that's just an apple on the tree. The thing you created was a fruit of your labor, but you're the tree. Hmm. You're the tree. Like the, you may, so you, you want a Grammy? Cool. But you're the tree. Who you are was able to do the thing of growing the fruit of a Grammy, right? So you started a business. Great. Who you are started a business. Now, if you lost the business, that fruit fell off the tree, <laughs> you still created the business. You had the skills to do it all again. Hmm. Go do it again. Make it bigger. Make it better. Make it brighter because you've, you've been a tree for longer. You want to do things better, right? So the idea is, for me, when I look at people, when they're creating things and doing things, is to separate yourself from the thing that you created and look at yourself as like, what kind of a creator am I? Give yourself mm. credit for that because there's a vast difference and a vast different perspective and in leading into confidence and leading into self, self, you know, we'll call it efficacy of what you can and can't do. You just feel better. I feel better as a person because I'm like, you know what? I, that didn't pan out. It didn't work perfectly, but I'm still good. I made that. I could do it again. Maybe I could do it better. And that's an identity thing. It's hmm. not this that I identify as the thing I made, but identify as I'm the person that made it. Hmm. So good. Because then it then you have room for, you know, being a father. You have room for your volunteer work. You have room for each one of those as an apple on that tree. So that's a great analogy. Yeah, man. 
<clears throat> so obviously you grew up as a, a black kid in a white family. Um, and obviously we're in, we're in crazy times in our culture right now. A lot of hate, a lot of um, creating more division, I believe. So for me, I want to, I want to ask from the viewpoint that, that you have, what can, what can white America, what can white entrepreneurs do better to serve the, the black community? Yeah, you went hard in the paint. He's like, let me wait to the very end. I'm going to throw this racial zinger at him and see if he'll answer it. Well, I'll answer it. I'll play ball with you, man. Uh, it's funny. I was like, I'm thinking about this today. I, th- I don't know when I was thinking about it. There's a weird, I had a, I have weird thoughts and I'm like, I want to find a way to go down a rabbit hole. But here was this thought I had of, I think the way we even have like racism and all that kind of stuff is like, I don't think there's a lot of people that are genuinely racist. I don't believe it, that a lot of people exist like that. I do believe we have a lot of things that have taken place over time where individuals like think about it, like there's certain things that I won't do if I'm with a group of people and I don't want to be ostracized. I'm just not going to do that thing because I don't want to be pointed at by the people that already accept me. So I think white America in and of itself has had this, this collective, like, you know, group thing of like, it's how we do things. And then even if you want to go with a different ethnicity or go hang out, it's like, Oh, but my people are going to look at me funny. So you just, you do what the group does and you get into that whole, like, I'm going to do what they do. And it's a gang mentality. And so I think you have, over years, not like vicious or violent, but certain people don't hang out with certain people because the people they were raised by may not accept that. So it just becomes this thing. And then we now we create our, our systems and we're separate. And so I think one of the things is what's a difficult thing is first off, you have to be okay with your your community looking at you differently because you want to do differently. Hmm. That's the first thing. You have to be okay with your community look at you going, what are you doing? And be like, yeah, whatever I want to do. I like these people. You know, like that's first part of it because i think a lot of individuals and this is both this is all directions this is chinese people and, and middle eastern people because all these people i have chinese friends i've never been in their houses i don't i don't know why and i was like i've never been in a chinese person's like home but I, I think that like chinese people marry chinese people it's what they do it's a cultural thing i get that but that's also what aspect nobody notices because nobody causes it right but that's happening everywhere in all ethnicities that people aren't really good at not being accepted by their people. So they don't go step out. So it'd be okay doing that. Secondly, you have to be okay learning something that sound that feels out of character in that new group you go into. You're going to do something you've never done. And most people aren't willing to do anything they've never done before. I mean, my son doesn't even want to work out because like, I've never done it before. I'm like, yeah, that's how it starts though. Everything starts that way. <laughs> but most people won't do something they've never done because I, I haven't done it before. And God forbid it takes away from my ego of things I have done well. I've got my collection of things I did well. I don't want to have that marred by what I, I don't do well. So, yeah, yeah, it sucks. But go try new things and have fun. And then be willing to go back and forth and develop a relationship. And that is that is deeper than it sounds. Because in a relationship, think about it. It's two different people trying to come together. And we go back and forth on things that, like, you don't get me and I don't get you. And I'm supposed to get this. And I got to do this. And you need what now? I don't do that kind of back and forth. And what happens is most people aren't willing to be wrong in a relationship and they aren't willing to give the effort to fix the thing that they didn't do wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't do that on purpose. I'm not fixing that. But then you have to. Even though you didn't do it intentionally, you still got to do it. Yesterday, we were putting Christmas lights on my tree in my in my living room. My daughter, she hit one of the little uh, like things and turned half the Christmas tree lights off the plug. <laughs> like, hey, which one of you guys uh, hit the tree, turned the lights off? I didn't turn them off. No, you're standing right there. You bumped it. I didn't do that. No, you did do it. I didn't do it on purpose. There's a difference. 
You didn't do it on purpose, but you still did it. And that's the thing is when you when you understand a relationship is part of you going through and having to be like, okay, I didn't do it on purpose, but I did do it. And not feeling guilty, but feeling like, okay, let me fix it. Now you can have this back and forth because all of those things, all the racial stuff and integration stuff, I think it's a lot of people not feeling like they want to be out of their circle and be ostracized by their, you know, alienated by their people. They don't open up to doing different stuff. And there's not this intention to create a great relationship, which is meaning two different humans connecting and finding a way to give and take in healthy ways from each other. That that's not a, a thing that most people are taught to do very well. It's like, well, we're just supposed to marry, we get together and we don't tell anybody about our problems and we just find a find a way to not kill each other in the house. It's like, no, it's not a fun relationship. Like I want to be able to be me and do what I do and not feel like you're gonna judge me on it. And I want to have you do what you do so you feel open and, and you don't feel judged. Cause then we both show up as the best us. We both figure each other out and now we got something cool. So black entrepreneurs, white entrepreneurs, whatever it is the same thing you can apply that in so many ways conceptually well so there's a couple things i love like the the idea that your kids are all like wasn't me <laughs> right not me is a great a great blamer we can we can blame not me all the time and mm -hmm. uh what i but what i really like is is when you when your kids make a mistake and, and you can come alongside them and say hey you did do it all right let's walk through the repair together and and we'll yeah. we'll 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 figure out this string of lights together and find the one that went bad. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, I love that. And then I, I, I do like that, that, that relational challenge, seeing it from those three points. Um, I definitely want to embrace that, right? I, I want to lean in and I want to, I want to be the person that's willing to, to do something different and willing to, to learn something new. And, and, and I think some of the challenges we're carrying, you know, a few hundred years of, of baggage yeah. that no one's taken responsibility for on, yeah. on either right. side. Oh. And, yeah. and, and, and so we, you know, we're, we got to start, I, I guess we just got to be willing to start right. And have the conversations. And, yeah. and I think entrepreneurs are more open to that because I think entrepreneurs are more willing to take some of those risks that you just talked about. And mm -hmm. that, you know, most people aren't willing to get out of their comfort zone. Most people aren't willing to to step into something new. And, and entrepreneurship is really doing that every day. <laughs> I mean, for successful entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. so I think the opportunity for collaboration, the opportunity for for creating those kind of new relationships to me is is exciting. And I think entrepreneurs are going to be some of the solutions to some of these cultural things that are that are happening. So in some way, I think they always will be. I mean, we're in a, in a free economy. That's kind of the, the beauty of it is even in the desire to make income, entrepreneurs have to solve problems to create the income for themselves. So it's just people being paid to problem solve. And we got a lot of problems, man. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and I love that. That's my like, I believe entrepreneurs are going to change the world because they, they care about people. They solve people's problems and, yeah. and they help. Well, Already have. It's not going to. It's already, it's already happened. I mean, think yeah, about well, how continue to continue more and more. There we go. I'm with that. Absolutely. So uh, obviously you've had some some good mentors. You've had some good coaches. Um, what, what, what would you encourage someone looking for a mentor? Uh, find somebody who two things. Well, three things. One is a person who you respect. It's a big piece of it. If you don't respect, you won't buy in. And if you don't buy in, you will never follow the path to where they want to go. 
even if it's a phenomenal path they lay out, if you don't respect them, you're not going to do it. So you won't get the return. Mm. That's the first piece. Um, second thing is make sure you find someone who has higher expectations for you. You need to have someone that can see the things that are above where you can see yourself. And if you respect them and you give them the, the chance to say, pull me higher, you're going to have to have someone that can see higher. If you don't, mm. then that's not going to work out. Uh, and then I think the end of the day is you don't hire a babysitter. You need to find someone who will, who's not, they're not there to fix your life for you. They're there to be walking alongside you and pointing out things you should fix. And right? that, that's their job is to have sight. I think more than anything is to have sight. Nice. That's so good. So I'm going to switch it up just a little bit. What was your most memorable date with your wife? Memorable date with my wife. We went in a helicopter uh, and rode around San Francisco, like up in the air and saw things we didn't know were up there. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So what do you love to do in your free time? Sleep and eat popcorn. <laughs> I chill. I, I, I will chill out. I will watch. I don't I think the thing is, is some people, they they have a job they're not in love with. And then they get they get their kicks by doing, you know, crazy stuff. And for me, I get my kicks in my career. So when I'm not doing my thing, I'm like, I just want to sit at the house. I, I love doing stuff with my kids. We I love the sports they play, supporting them and that stuff. That's a blast for me. But I mean, I don't like whittle wood and like I'm not an archer. You know, I don't do other stuff. <laughs> so I sit here at the house. And when I'm done working and talking and hanging out. Like, I mean, it's just a blast. I get to be creative and expressive and do all my stuff. So when I'm done, I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm going to sit on the couch and watch kids shows. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So what inspires you? What inspires me, man? I think it's the 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 hope that things can be better than they are. Mm. And that's what I, like the fact that they can. Like, and I've seen it already in my own life. Things can be better than they are. So it inspires me to see what that is. I, it's a matter of, I think life is, is a collection of events and experiences. And I think people like ask, what's the meaning of life? And I go, I don't know what it is. But what I think it might be is to have more good experiences than bad. Because mm, really, true. all we can do, we can have experiences. It could be, it does it. I don't know what else there. I'm trying to like beyond that. What are you know, like purpose? It's an experience. You get to experience purpose. It's so for me. I just want to have more good experiences than bad. And I think there's there's something to this direction of like doing things that are positive, fun, experiential type things. Nice. Well, and I think that ties back to right becoming the man that right recognizing. Hey, I'm not the husband I want to be. He's up here now. I gotta I gotta work on. On that, yeah. I got to work my way towards that, and, of how, and that's yeah. that's pretty cool, right? I, I want to meet that guy. I want to I want to know what it's like to be that husband. I want my wife to know what it's like when I get yeah. to be that husband. Inspires me. Um, that's it. That's the inspiration. It's like what is at the end of the day, what what experience can I have? I, I'm inspired by new experiences, if you want to call it that, and I think the life's collection of them. Hmm. That's so good. So so what's Anthony's big dream? My big dream. Um, I don't know if I have massive dreams. I've always told people I'm not a go big guy. I'm a go small in a big way guy. So I have directions I want to go. And I, I, whatever those things are, I, I do, I do them big in a small way. Like if that makes sense. So I, I try to find like, where's the direction I want to go and what does, what does the day look like to get there? And then how can I do that? So I, I quite literally live in life in a joyous space. And I'm doing I'm doing it every day. The big dream is I get to get up and live today, man. I get to enjoy this day. That, that's the dream. I the 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 destination is a thing people aspire to. I want to get to the destination, have this car, have this house. 
the destination for me is not the destination. The destination is the journey. Hmm, so good. I, I have arrived in a life that I love doing every day because I think even humans, we are, we are best in motion. We are happiest in motion in the magic of moving. That's why like when you make a puzzle, doing the puzzle is great. When the puzzle's done, it's like, all right, puzzle's done. Now what? You know, like it's a different, <laughs> different feeling. So I'm like, I want to be putting the puzzle together. So I, I have vastly more joy in the journey. That's where I've chosen to arrive. Hmm. Yeah, it's so good recognizing the the process is really where all the value is. And if you can yeah, find the really joy right. in the process, then then you're, you're then you, experiencing yeah. exactly what you're supposed to. Everything's great, man. Then there's no headaches or drawbacks. It's all fun. I enjoy my life. <laughs> Nice. So young entrepreneur sitting across, you guys just had coffee and he's about to take off and you want to give him Anthony's words of wisdom. What would you share? Uh, make sure you always wipe twice. You never know. Charming <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. All right. Uh, you know, I, I think it would be to care as a verb, like care with actions, right? Because you can care inside and not anybody can see it, but care as an entrepreneur and make as much money as humanly possible. Mm. And I think there's, there's got to be this perspective that people don't grasp that like money, making money is not a bad thing. It's a biblical thing to make a lot of money. Like Solomon's wealth, right? But the same side, like making money as an entrepreneur, you will not make it. I don't care who you are. You're not going to make it if you don't in some way create a solution for people. Mm. Even drug dealers, they make a lot of money. The solution is I don't want to, you know, like, I want drugs, right? That's still a bad thing. But they, at some point, solve the problem, right? So the idea is like care. Therefore, you're going to solve the right problems and then solve the problems, make a bunch of money because then you can give back. You can't give back if you're broke. You can't give up your time. You can't give up solutions. You, all you can do is give your time to surviving. But if you really want to serve something to a higher level, care and make a whole bunch of money. Hmm, that's so good. All right, I'm just going to throw one more out there just because I love the idea of contribution and, and the ability to contribute as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. how has contribution served you in, in your journey? Oh, immensely, man. I, every, I, there's things that people do not see behind the scenes that I do. They'll never make it to social media. They'll never even make it to this conversation. But at the end of the day, I do a lot of that stuff because it fills me up in a way that lets me know I'm doing the right thing so I can go serve at a higher level. If I don't fill my cup, I can't pour out of it. <laughs> and so there are a lot of things I do for free. I, I have a lot of phone calls with people that, that no one knows I have. And, and I do it for nothing else than to know that I did something good in the world and that it makes me feel good. And then I can be good inside and I can go do good things in the world and it all rolls smooth. But yeah, you have to give back in some manner. It's the price we pay to live in this earth, man. Anthony, thank you so much. I appreciate you digging deep. I appreciate you sharing from some of those places. And I just really appreciate the conversation and the value that you've added. Welcome, Robert. No problem, man. If you enjoy the show, Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvalue2entrepreneurs.com. Our Cyber December deals include one-hour coaching slots for only $97. That's a 75% savings. And we're launching new Inner Circle Team Coaching in 2022. Applications are open in December at addvalue2life.com. In our next episode, Eric Konovalov shares his journey from Russian immigrant to U.S. Marine to copier sales to teaching sales. Now Eric is building a coaching company helping entrepreneurs and sales professionals grow themselves and their businesses to fulfill their dreams.